reach out and space. If you'd like to contact the show, send us an email at liveonfourlegspodcast at gmail.com or get involved in the conversation on social media. Join the Pearl Jam Podcast community group on Facebook or follow us on Twitter at Live on Four Legs Pod. I read in the paper today that it's uh, National Prayer Day. So we thought it would be uh, maybe today's the, the night, tonight's the night to make the big announcement that, that we're going to uh, apply officially to the United States government and uh, have our band be considered a legitimate religion. And, and uh, there's only one commandment, and it's uh, easy to remember, and it's uh, don't be an asshole. And away we go. You're listening to Live on Four Legs, the live Pearl Jam podcast experience, featuring Mr. Stone Gossip. Fucking camera in the jump. Mr. Boom Gasper! You can call me Al, you can call me Ed, you just, just fucking call me, why don't you? Definitive live Pearl Jam podcast and take your seats to this church where we sing to the choir because you are entering the religion of Pearl Jam. That's right. Now, the religion of Pearl Jam is kind of like all the rest of the religions, except for, you know, uh, all of the child abuse scandals and acting like your God is the best God on the planet. It's just about loving the music and loving one another and being a part of something that is a community where everybody looks after and takes care of one another and there's only one rule but i'm not going to reveal that rule to you right now because that's something we'll get into a little bit later but for anybody that has listened to or was at this show you guys know that i'm talking about columbus ohio in 2010 right here so This is an interesting one. It's a good one. And we're going to talk to our patron, Travis Howell, who requested this episode. So lots of good things to get into, including Mike McCready singing. 
Yep. You betcha. Father Randy Zobel over here and Reverend John Ferrara over there. Yes, yes. Hello, hello, hello. Take your seats. Welcome. Are you having a blessed day? Oh, always. When you follow the religion of Pearl Jam, every day is a blessed day. You would have to be following the strangest tribe, I'd assume, right? Hopefully we'll get into the scripture of stone a little bit later. So Pearl Jam as a religion is kind of a theme when it comes to this show. And what's your take on that? Because we mentioned it to Travis. We're going to run his interview in a second here. But it does feel like whenever you are at a show that everything that you kind of believe in is coming to the forefront and like church, they have you singing, they have you hanging on to every word and everybody bonds over it. So Pearl Jam as a religion, what do you think? It makes sense a little bit. Like there's a short, short list of people who would be able to form a cult and have people follow them. And Ed is one of those people. And luckily, he has not exercised that power as of yet. So, yeah, I mean, they kind of do it with a little tongue-in-cheek here. But to some people, I mean, you live with this music for years and years and years, and it gets into you and it becomes part of you. And it's kind of natural to, you know, you kind of start feeling about, you know, people travel and there's a community and there's some similarities for sure. Yeah, I can't get away from that factor because I grew up Jewish, but it was really agnostic and really followed the religion. But you kind of get religious towards other things like that you just get knee deep in and involved with. You get religious towards maybe a TV show or a movie you like. You get religious towards a band. You get religious towards a sports team. And it just happens you're kind of just looking for your people in that aspect because it's always good to find those people that share that common ground and for Pearl Jam the common ground that we all share is something that brings up such a positive light in all of our lives where there's almost no negative connotation like yeah there are complaints here and there but it's one of those things you can sit on a merch stand line. You can be on the GA line and you can make friends with everybody. You can make conversations with everybody. And that's just how it is. And people are willing to do that because Pearl Jam and their music just kind of bring you together that way. And, you know, I've fallen into other fandoms before and sports fandoms mainly. And maybe from those fandoms, I didn't necessarily feel the same kind of connection with those people because I, I knew, yeah, we, we root for the same team and, and that's all nice and, and well, but like as people, I definitely did not really connect and see eye to eye on anything but sports. And mm -hmm. it does feel like when you're talking Pearl Jam, everybody's really like-minded in that aspect. And it's not like we don't have thoughts and feelings of our own but when you get this invested in this band and you know who they are and, and know what they speak for it's really difficult not to follow along and for a lot of people i think it's you were already like that and that gravitates you even more and i think that that's why a lot of this fan base is so well connected because it's just like where are your life goals at 
you know, you care about your family, you care about the planet, you care about what's going on in the world. And I think that Pearl Jam, in a sense, can bring that out of us, especially if you're going to see a show and it is upset or angry about something that you might feel upset or angry about. And then you, you kind of share that too. So there's a lot of common ground that you have to share here. And I think that's really what all goes into this religion thing is that you can all be together and share the experience and come out of it all connected. I think it might just be as simple as that. Well, I think people, when they look to religion, they're searching for meaning, right? And the reason that when I started getting into this music when I was 13, 14 years old, I was looking for just that, like authenticity, meaning, and there's no lack of that in Pearl Jam songs. So that's the reason like this band inspires a lot of that fandom is because if you look for that meaning, which is something that everyone is looking for, you'll find it here. A, wait for it, meant. Our sermon is over, and now we present to you the next portion of our episode, which is talking to our patron, Travis Howell, who was at this show. So let's get a little firsthand experience, it being his first show, too, how special it was for him. Talk about the trip. Were you living in North Carolina at the time and wanted to go up to Cleveland to go see the Rock and Roll Hall of Fame? Yeah, that's right. So I'm still living in North Carolina, born and raised here. And my girlfriend was with at the time. We wanted to kind of take a trip together. So she'd never been to the Rock and Roll Hall of Fame. I had been quite a few years ago, but you know, it was like, hell yeah, let's go. So we had kind of planned the trip and we had scheduled time off from work and whatnot. And I think I just kind of stumbled across it, you know, that Pearl Jam was, was on tour and playing and saw that they were going to be in Cleveland. And fortunately, that date didn't line up with when we were going to be there. It was just a few days off. And uh, we had already asked for time off work and everything. But Columbus could work out. We just had to make a couple adjustments to our itinerary. So we did. Had a great time. Did you get there in time for the mic preset? I did not. Like, I didn't know it was happening. And I don't know if there wasn't an announcement. Yeah, I don't recall there being an announcement because I was on the forums and I had my laptop with me. So like I was checking it. So I think if I would have seen it announced, then we would have tried to get there. What were people saying about it? Did you hear about it in the crowd? Like, was there kind of a buzz going around? I didn't hear anything in the crowd, but Eddie mentioned something during one of the songs, something about when Mike was just a guitar player. Mm hmm. So I think by that point, I had maybe heard a little something and thought, oh, that was pretty funny. Now the show begins with Oceans, and this is kind of an important moment for anybody that's a Pearl Jam fan. Your first song you ever see live. What was going on through your head and thinking back to that moment? Because I always think that seeing my first ever song live, that that was my introduction into basically a religion. Did you have some sort of experience where you thought you were kind of brought into this? I mean, once, yeah, I guess once the show started and the energy, it became a religious experience for me. And, and every time I go to a Pearl Jam show now, it, it is a religious experience for me. It's one of the things I live for and probably a lot of us live for. I definitely try to live in the moment, you know. I don't take a lot of pictures. I don't really do videos. 
it's almost like an out-of-body experience for me. And even the first show was that way. The opening, though, the, the only thing I have to say about the opening, we were sitting on the aisle seat on Mike's side, furthest seat to that side. And the, so the back wasn't opened either. I was in the aisle, and I was just, I mean, I was losing my mind all the show, jumping in the aisles and having that out-of-body experience. But the first few songs, I just felt like the audio maybe wasn't quite right until Corduroy hit. When Mike's solo come in for Corduroy, it was like the sound guy found the faders for the side fields or the, you know, the side, and he turned everything up. And from that point on, the sound was incredible and it just elevated the experience even more. One of the big things that you get from the bootleg is 100% that this crowd came to play. They came to see this band and they came to make noise. What was being in that crowd like? Because sometimes you just never know. It could be if you go to your first show and you get an okay crowd, a decent crowd, that they might be on top of like the good stuff. This crowd was on top of just about every single song. So did that add to the experience? I mean, it probably did. You know, at the time, I didn't have anything to compare it to. Pearl Jam, at least. Other bands I'd seen, it didn't compare to those because it was already better than that. But listening back at the bootleg, after many years now of listening to other bootlegs, I can definitely hear the crowd throughout the whole show. They were on it from the start, and they were on point. Yeah, what other songs stuck out to you? You know, being your first show, you always kind of have those little flash moment memories. Like, what other songs do you remember sticking with you? There was one, one instance I remember, and I've looked on YouTube, and I've tried to find video evidence of this. Because it, it didn't come through on the bootleg. And I've always kind of questioned what happened. But during Got, I'm almost like 100% sure it was Got Some. The intro to Got Some. The song kicks off. And Mike goes to play his part. And there's nothing coming out. And he's like looking back at his tech. Almost ready to pull his guitar off. And his tech even had another guitar standing there. Like, you know, the vantage point I had, I could see his tech perfectly from that side. So the tech was like standing there ready to switch another guitar out for him so that they could continue on the song. And his tech reaches over and grabs his volume knob and just turns it up. And Mike just has this look on his face like, oh, God, I'm an idiot. And it just keeps playing. And I have not been able to find that on YouTube. You hear his part in the bootleg, so I've always questioned, like, did did they go through and fix that? I guess they did. That's really interesting, yeah. This show only has little bits and pieces. There's a one-hour clip, but it has really random parts of the set, and yeah, Gotsum's not a part of that. So it might just be one of those mysteries where it's like, right there in that moment, that's the only time that you'll ever really get to live it you know what i mean yeah i i definitely think that was one of them you know the other thing that comes to mind was eddie had a speech about pearl jam becoming an official religion oh yeah and i thought that was funny at the time but then as the night went on i've really understood what everybody else was feeling and why he even made that comment i mean it's almost become a religion for me i know it's a religion for a lot of us so so yeah, I thought that was a pretty funny moment. Well, we appreciate you coming on and telling your story. And thank you so much for supporting this podcast. We can't do it without people like you that are so 
generous to come in and tell us their story, which is honestly, I mean, that's a privilege for us, but also, you know, help us out with our funding and everything like that for Patreon. So thank you so much, Travis. Yeah, man, we really appreciate everything you guys do and, you know, keep up all the good work. All right. Thank you, everybody, for listening to that. And once again, big thank you to Travis for everything, for joining in and contributing and supporting this podcast, which I would say it every week. We're so thankful and we owe you guys a debt of gratitude because you guys believe in us. And it's really important to know that you guys care about this to an extent where you want to tell your stories and you want to pitch in and help. So we'll talk a little bit more about that later when we always do, but just an extra thing to say how great Travis and the rest of the Patreon community is. So thank you all so much. Well, I teed it up and then we got into this religious talk a little bit, but part of the religion here is that we do pray to the gods of Mike McCready. And in this show, he decided to use his voice, something he really has almost never done. Toronto 2009, he played some solo songs before the set because there was an issue with Ted Leo getting over the border. Ted Leo and Pharmacist being the opening band, he couldn't get over the border, so they had to make some adjustments. And one of them was having Mike do two solo songs. Here... Mike is going to come out, do some songs, and Ed's going to introduce him. And I think that the way that Ed introduces him, he feels proud of Mike, and he's really excited for what's to come. And I can see the band all being back there like, go, Mike, you got this. And it's got to be hard for him. At the time, he wasn't doing this whole lot. So I'm sure he went to the rest of the band and said, guys, I'm ready to do this today. Let's try it. Yeah, this was kind of a thing around the time. I think this was the year, too, that Turning Mist came out on the fan club single, which he sings on. So he was kind of like, yeah, having a little bit of a moment here. And it's nice, too, like Ed comes out and introduces him and says he wanted to bring him out. So he doesn't have to just kind of walk out there by himself and be like, hey, I'm going to play some songs. You get the guy who's comfortable doing that to come out and introduce you. But this is really rare. It really only happened around this time. I don't think it's ever happened since. One of the things, it's not at a Pearl Jam show, but at a Rockford show Mm -hmm. this past year, he played a song that he had written about Chris Cornell, which everybody was just in tears about. It was a beautiful song. And I had read things and heard interviews with him about wanting to branch out and trying to improve his singing voice. And he even said, maybe try a solo record someday and i'm all for that if it's something that he just wants to accomplish then please do i fully support every single side project that every member of this band has and i would love to see it come to fruition well we know that he's working on that opera about crunch which is a weird phrase to say but he's working on this song cycle about the early days of seattle so i think that song about Cornell is part of that, so that'll be something to look out for in the next couple of years. It'll be interesting. But for this show, he's going to do two songs, and of course one of them is going to be from his favorite band of all time, the Rolling Stones. Here he is with Dead Flowers. Well, when you're there in your silk upholstered chair Talking to some rich 
Sometimes when the crowd hears something that they don't like, they can tell you. But the whole entire time, it felt like they were on the edge of their seat watching this. And every time that they erupted, it seemed like Mike was kind of like, yeah, I got this. And it kind of gave him a little bit more inspiration and motivation to continue on and continue feeling that moment. And it was just a really nice performance to see him do this. Obviously tapping into a little bit of Mick Jagger there and kind of using a little bit of that bluesy country voice when singing Dead Flowers, of course. But I thought he did a wonderful job with this. Yeah, I mean... You know, you always kind of like hold your breath when the guitar player decides to sing because there have been times when it's gone very, very wrong. But he's got a unique voice. Like he worked on these things for a long time, practiced. Like I said, I remember reading that same thing too, where he wanted to get better at it. Coming out with a cover is an easy way to start. Obviously, a song that he probably knows by heart. He's played a billion times. So come on, do something to get comfortable. And then, yeah, the second song is an original. It is, and I believe this was played at that Toronto show that I just mentioned, which is shortly, I think, after his son was born, so he's writing it about his son. It's called That's All Right, and let's take a listen into this, and then we'll talk about it in a second. So it's interesting. He 
writes about his son and I think the politics that are involved. He mentions like you hear things on the left wing, you hear things on the right wing, and you hear things all over the place. And it affects you as a grown adult because you're part of the world. You're part of society. But you look at a young child and it's like, well, you're affected by it too, but you have absolutely no idea what's going on. You have dreams. You have toys, as he says, both those lines. You have what's in front of you, mom and dad and family and whatever you're watching on TV at that moment. You don't care that the country can melt down at any moment. It's not even a part of your life. But, you know, adding in kind of the landscape politically and comparing it to what it's on, it's like you kind of fall into this and you forget the things that truly make you happy and truly matter in life. And I think that's kind of what he's grasping at with the song. I had heard this before, but I didn't remember it being this political. Yeah, it goes really into that stuff, which is interesting for the time because they had kind of backed off of that during the Obama years. But the thing that really stuck out to me was just the sincerity of it. And, you know, this is not an insult to it at all, but he's got a very kind of plain and simple, straightforward way of writing. And you saw that with the Cornell song, too. He keeps it simple. He gets to the point. He says what he wants to say. And you saw that in Inside Job as well. But yeah, I think that's a strength of his. He doesn't try to water it down or make it too flowery. He says what he wants to say. And I think that's why if he were to do a record of songs like this, I think it would connect with people in a different way than that Pearl Jam does because of the plaintiveness and sincerity of it. I mean, it's definitely a different way of songwriting than we're used to hearing. Oh, absolutely. And I wonder if some of the vulnerability that Ed shows in his songs that he writes, I wonder if a little bit of that rubbed off on him thinking that I want to speak my truth. I want to speak from the heart. And I wonder if that's just kind of, well, Ed does it and Ed does it as one of the best. I'm not saying he's trying to do it exactly like Ed because he doesn't, but I wonder if that mentality rubs off on him a little bit. I mean, maybe. I mean, yeah, you stand next to this guy for 20 years at the time. Something's going to rub off. All right. Well, that's Mike's portion of the show. Well, he'll be involved in the other show, just Mike's focal point of the show. Then Band of Horses went on, and then we kick into the full performance of the night with a song, as Travis mentioned. It's a landlocked show. Don't know why they're playing it in Columbus, Ohio, but... Honestly, why not start with oceans? One, two, three. Hold on to the thread. The currents will shift. Glide me.
light kind of surface over the stage and it kicks in. It's a very pounding presence from that. And that's kind of the standalone because it's, it's a version. It doesn't necessarily drive, but it's heavy. And I really like that about this. It was a good kickoff to the night. Obviously, when you open with Oceans, the seas are wide open. Anything else can happen. And I wonder, people in that crowd are thinking in that aspect, like, okay, here we go. I thought this was fantastic. I thought it had a lot of the energy that the song originally had. It has a really nice kind of wilting quality to it. It feels like it's just kind of floating in the water like it should. Like some of those really good 1991 and 1992 versions had. I thought they really tapped into something here. It was really, really good. And the beginning of the show, I think, is one of the best parts. I think I agree with you there because once you transfer into Given a Fly, Given a Fly has this massive surge and you can tell like Ed is feeling he's doing some of these like, yeah, yeah, come on. He's doing some of those and he does the made it to Columbus had a joint in a tree. It felt like a big moment. And I wonder if because he really played it up huge before introducing Mike and said, I I feel like we got a really, really good one tonight. I don't know. The arena hadn't have been that much filled up for him to kind of get this idea that the band was going to have a good show, but it seemed like he had good instincts on it. And he was right because the crowd right from this is really on fire for basically the whole entire night. Yeah, I love this one-two opening of Ocean and Given to Fly. Like that works in a way that feels like maybe on paper it wouldn't, but it's just another one of those things. Like occasionally we'll get these unique two-song openings that make you just kind of sit down and go, "Wow, like why don't they do this all the time?" Given to Fly, I think, capitalizes on what Oceans did and just builds on it and turns it into something really special that absolutely soars. I thought the band was completely locked in on Given to Fly. You know when Ed is doing those little interjections, emphasizing things that he's feeling and that always makes for a good night. But yeah, this version of Given to Fly just completely soars like the best ones do. We got Corduroy, Gotsum, and Worldwide Suicide that all follow up on that. And I think Corduroy works right in that wheelhouse too. Once you get into the bridge, you can hear the crowd sing a lot. Yeah, the energy really came through the speakers on these early performances. Corduroy, too. You get Ed adding these little interjections in again that just tell you that they're capturing some energy in that building and sending it back out. All right, I think it is. I just got me 
Corduroy, great. Given the fly, great. Ocean's great. Now we get into Backspacer and Avocado. Avocado is going to have some representation at the show, which is mm-hmm. interesting because we already went through some Avocado. So it's like, okay, you're going to give Avocado representation here. Let's talk about some songs we didn't talk about the last couple of weeks. Army Reserve, Severed Hand, Gone, one of those songs. But all four of these songs are songs that we talked about. So, hey, you take what you can get, but it's going to be Worldwide Suicide, of course. And I think it's just continuing on building that energy and Got Some is fun. I know everybody knows that I'm not the Got Some connoisseur here, but it created all that momentum and it felt like the crowd, again, on top of it and had all those clapping moments. And I think from Worldwide Suicide standpoint, the extended Ebo sound in the beginning, it was more than the normal allotment for that. I thought that that was really interesting and they kind of played it up for a couple seconds or so, but this is keeping the ride a rolling right in the beginning. Yeah, it's hard to follow up Corduroy with anything. So got some, it's a little bit of a switch, it's a different type of song, but yeah, you're you're trying to get the crowd into it. And even Worldwide Suicide, I thought was pretty good. Like the ending, especially, it felt like they were pushing it in a ways that, you know, we've been covering a lot of these, especially on the late night series on Patreon. And I had not heard it played like this in any of those performances. The ending, it really felt like they were trying to push it, trying to surge it and sending some of that crowd energy back out. It does get your blood pumping. If we're creating a meter of this, it is towards the higher side of the meter, I would say. So going into Faithful, the little intro that happens there is going to be extended a little bit because Ed wants to say hello. So he's saying hello, but also it's the start of a song. So this isn't necessarily something that is usually done. You think of when he talks over Wasted Reprise or something like that, but it feels like he has a direct thing to say whenever that does. He's just saying hello to everybody right here. So says it's nice to be in Ohio tonight, which by the way, got to bring this up. Obviously they haven't been to Columbus since, but they did Cleveland that year. They had only played one other Ohio show since these two shows. And that is Cincinnati. So nothing near the Cleveland area, Columbus area at all. Mm. So mentions that there are three or four shows into the tour so far, and this crowd, he feels they're already bringing it. The first time we played in Columbus, we're going to fact check this in two seconds. It was in 1992. He says that the Newport Music Hall, that is false because they played there twice in 1991. And those set lists are unknown. However, this Newport Music Hall show is known. And as Ed would say, they would play 10 songs there. And what I thought was interesting, because after he mentions this, I'm like, oh, that's probably why they did Oceans, because it would be a callback to that. And no, they opened with Wash at that show. So they were just feeling the song on this for whatever reason. And why the hell not, I suppose. We played 10 songs that night, and we're going to play at least two more tonight for The Faithful. I like that. I like when he talks over songs like that and kind of gives that weight and momentum. And I wonder if talking about the religious factor in a little bit led them to think, okay, this band is religion and we're all faithful because we all believe in it. That has to be tied together. Absolutely. Yeah, doing a little reminiscing here. Not something that they always do, but we saw a little bit more of that as the 2010s would go along. 
this is the change of pace, right? Faithful is where you're going to switch and get a little bit more into the mid-tempo stuff. But we're going to hear more about the religion stuff in a little bit, but this song fits in perfectly. Yeah, it's a great version. Yeah, it's holding that note. It puts a poor motherfucker to do, like changing that line. You can tell he's getting into preacher mode. Yeah, 100%. And after a speech like that, that's hyping up a local crowd and being like, oh man, we're so glad to be here. And it felt so genuine and instead of like the old rock and roll adage, hey, Columbus, you get the sign that yeah, people play it up. Yeah. Right. It sounded like he was seriously enjoying his time and wanted to give this crowd the best show. I felt a lot of that energy coming from Faithful, and I think that, again, has to do with the crowd and connecting with what he says, and that lifts spirits right away. So, absolutely, Poor Motherfucker to Do is great, and overall, very, very engaging. To follow that is Small Town and Amongst the Waves, and it's cool in the video for Small Town, of course, when you're doing the I Just Want to Scream Hello it pans over to see all of the nationwide arena all doing the same thing and singing along. And this is really catering to the fans here because this version is a sing-along. It's not campfire necessarily. It's not anthemic. It's just straight up, let's all just sing together. Well, let's get to another Backspacer song. I really want to put it out to our boy, the gear guru, Mr. Javier. Because he loves this era. I don't know if you've heard. He loves 2010 shows, you guys. <laughs> he has a lot to say. And a lot of positive things to say. And Amongst the Waves is one of the songs that he really wants to talk about. So, why hear my voice when you can just hear his? Hey Randy, hey John, hey everyone in the podcast. So, for this week we're covering Columbus, Ohio 2010. I'll get into more of that later, I guess. <laughs> but, yeah, I mean, the sound overall for this era, 2009-2010, is just so tight and compressed. But again, it's just not my cup of tea, okay? Anyways, for Amongst the Waves. We have pretty cool dynamics going on here in between the band. Well, Matt Cameron is having a great show. Like, this is definitely a Matt show. The pretty cool thing about Amongst the Waves is, well, Stone is using a capo in one of his guitars. His main choice is what was going to be something on the lighter end, like Fender Strat. I've never seen a telly, but I could guess like a Gretsch could fit perfectly fine to whatever he's trying to do. And on the other side, Mike is doing a lot of hand lick arpeggios. Like, it, they're super nice because they're adding a little bit of depth into it. Now, one of the cool things or the cool tricks that they use in this song is, again, they're keeping a lot of a space in between what they're doing. Stone is basically the driver of this tune. Like, he's getting all the rhythm in. He's getting all the twangly, all the jangles. 
is in every instructor in every single part of the song and mike is just getting in in a specific parts and especially like when he's getting into the course also a lot of use of octave notes that is going to add a little bit more depth to it now the cool thing about an octave note whenever you hit the same chord in between the octave and the guitar is the fact that mike is going to be following whatever ed is singing so he's following him allowing stone just to keep that structural base of the song with the rhythm tagging along with whatever matt is doing and whatever jeff is doing but so many details in the song the main combo for this has always been like i was saying before stone using something on the lighter end like a strat and mike using something a little bit more along a p90 that 1957 that is in an original 1957 gives on the spall specialty that he has been using for a while that i'm pretty sure that he acquired through emerald city guitars in seattle but yeah that's how we're gonna kick it off this week and you're gonna hear more about me and why i quote unquote love this era so much as you can tell like I said, he really, really loves this era, and we'll get more into that in a couple of songs as to why this era is really, really special to him. So hang on to that tease. Thanks, Javier. All right, let's package Evenflow and Comatose together here. Ed goes on to give Mike McCready the floor and says, Oh, just like he used to. And you're just hearing good things from Mike. It's not the most unique version with all the tricks, but it felt like he's doing a little Hendrix. He's doing a little Stevie Ray Vaughan. And we're coming off two weeks here. You got to mention Cameron that we had the Cameron solos and it did feel like here that there was a window of opportunity for him to just jump in and take over, but he didn't take that opportunity just smoothly transitioned into the end of the song. I think because we were spoiled the last two weeks, easy to expect that, but mm-hmm. nonetheless, a, a very, very good even flow. This is where he gives the tease, like, oh, he wrote that one. That was when Mike McCready was just a guitar player, like referencing the preset thing. Now he's a singer-songwriter, so he's elevated in the pantheon. You mentioned the Just Like He Used To, the thing that Ed kind of says almost off mic right before the solo, oh, Just Like He Used To, connecting it back to the story from 92 and the ocean's beginning. They're making that connection with their past here and bringing it full circle a little bit. It was really, really good. Or even in a way he could be saying, oh, you're a solo artist now. Now you're getting back to old school Mike McCready, something like that. Comatose, just bringing this up real quick. We talked about the song the last couple of weeks, and we've talked about the ups and downs from it. And last week I thought it was a pretty big up. I thought that that was a version that had a lot of momentum, and the band seemed locked in on it. And then sometimes you get a version that sounds like this. And... That's when Comatose just does not flock with the sequels. Yeah, I mean, Ed is slow on the vocals at the beginning. He's behind. And I clocked it out. This is barely over two minutes. Very, very fast. They just can't seem to nail it ever since this. Yeah, the rapid tempo changing from Matt, I think, is kind of what screws with it. And also, the song, whenever it gets out to a bad start, you just know... It's kind of going to be a rocky ship from here, but I think that Matt was trying to do a little bit too much with it. And like you said, Ed was a little slow to the punch on the lyrics, so that didn't quite work. For a lot of people, I'm sure they were banging their heads to this live, but 
it can spill into being in that direction of just losing its marbles a little bit. Well, here is where we truly get to understand Pearl Jam as a religion. And here's where we had mentioned earlier that there is one commandment. I read in the paper today, it was National Prayer Day. So we figured tonight would be the night to make the announcement that we were going to officially apply to the United States government and have our band be considered a legitimate religion. Yeah, I pray to those gods, all right. Stone suggested that we be tax-exempt and could get a lot of money. Good things, because not always does the government put it where it's supposed to go. Yeah, the tax-exempt thing, that's a conversation for another time, but I see where they're going, I see... Stone's got his head in the right place. He's thinking practically. Absolutely. And mentions here, there's only one commandment, and it's easy to remember. And now, I don't know if this line had been used prior to this. It feels like it's been a thing in Pearl Jam forever. But maybe this just solidified the fact and kind of became the rule of thumb. The one commandment is don't be an asshole. Simple as that. Yeah, he mentions, oh, I may look like Jesus, but Stone is the real Jesus. There was one more thing, like he says, oh, you can't fucking Twitter, whatever that is. Like, you know, Twitter just kind of starting <laughs> around that time. A little prescient there from Ed. Maybe we should all take his advice now. Maybe. You can't fucking X, right? Hmm. No. Nobody's calling it that shit. Of course, we talked about faithful before and having the religious type of undertones in there of just kind of being a part of something. And then you have marker in the sand here, which is about when religion gets bad. And Ed kind of mentions you got to dance to this one. And I love it. However, I think there's an elephant in the room with this version of marker. I brought this up to Javier, but I'm going to let him talk about it. There's a difference between the marker that we listened to the last couple of weeks and Chicago and this. Javier's going to take it away. All right, let's get the record straight here. <laughs> yeah, I'm not a huge fan of 2009 or 2010. If you have noticed my opinions along my participation on this podcast, and especially because Randy makes fun of me about that. All right, guys, hear me out. We went from 2000, 2003, 2006. The sound of that band is absolutely insane. They're great. There's a lot of dynamics. There's a lot of punch. There's a lot of character in whatever they're doing, and it's just, I guess, the backspace or time, it was trying to get more back into the basics, and I think the concept also translated towards, okay, this is how we're going to play it live. It just doesn't cut for me. It doesn't work. It feels so flat, unidimensional. I don't want to use the word boring, but certain songs in this time are for me just like i'm just gonna skip this i know i know i know i shouldn't be saying this but yeah that's how i feel but anyways let's get backtrack a little bit to compare 
what they were using in between 03, 06 up to 09 and 10. 03 and 06, the protagonist of everything that they were doing live, they were Fender basements or anything that is going to be close to that sound. And actually, when you hear the live recordings, there's not much difference in between 03 and 06. Maybe 03 gets a little bit more bassy, but anyways. So then, in between those years, we're getting a lot of dynamics, a lot of response from the instrument towards the amp. But then over 09 and 2010, they were running amps that they're extremely bright and extremely based on the middle end. So that's why you get a lot of mitts, a lot of mitts, a lot of mitts. And actually, I have a very good friend of mine who is a sound engineer, and he will always tell me we will make fun of this around this time because it's like, mm -mm, that's a lot of mitts, dude. It doesn't cut it for me. Where's the treble kind of stuff. And if you notice on Mike's side, there was a lot of Savage amps, which they are Fender-ish based, but the EQ was more towards like, we're going to eliminate all the dynamics and we're just going to get the mitts in. And towards Stone's side, he was using Marshalls. He has a Marshall head in the back and an AC30 that is hand-wired. But again, completely lack of dynamics. It feels flat, a very mid-bass. And I think that's why this era for me doesn't cut it. It feels that certain songs are just not there. And also, I don't know, especially in certain songs, like when you really need to get that boost on top of everything, especially if you're doing a solo, it's just not there. So, yeah. Sorry, guys. Not a huge fan of this time, but I thought we were going to talk about that. That's what I got for this week. It's the perfect song to play after talking about your band becoming a religion because it's the closest thing that they have to like a gospel part at the end there. And even Ed says, oh, we're going to church now. Going to church. Boom. Especially comes in super hot on this. Just oh, I damn. love this part. Yeah, just on that organ coming in high and hard. ended too quickly they could have gone on a couple more minutes on this and really jam out on it, it would have been great yeah the thing that boom is adding to the end of the song here just reminds me of like a springsteen song something James that Brown. he would add yeah something like that yeah just yeah. like a classic kind of sound pearl jam just doesn't utilize boom in that aspect he's kind of like filling in some texture spots and then sometimes you'll really get to feel him on black but for that, that was a perfect way to utilize them in something different. And hey, wish it was there from the start. So very good. Unthought, Known, and Grievance are here as well in this little section. And then we're going to get to the ending section as well. Unthought, Known was really, he kind of mentions it as another religious song about the sky. And Unthought Known is really setting into its comfort zone in 2010. I think 2009 was just the introduction to it and saying this is a song that we like off this Backspacer record. I always love to say this. It's your good as your last bootleg. So when you pick up the bootlegs and you listen to Unthought Known, you're like, hmm, they really have something with this. And then you go back and you're thinking, I want to see this on the next tour. And when they do it on the next tour, 
you feel invested. And it felt like the audience was invested in this one by the way that everything is just ebbing and flowing and feeling like it has a purpose and feeling like it has those surges and does it really, really well. It really just translated to fans. And ever since, it's kind of been one of very, very few Backspacer songs that has the staying power after the record came The last time we listened to it was for, again, the Late Night series, the Saturday Night Live one. And I think we both talked about how that one was kind of lacking because it didn't have the big crowd to go with it. Like, this is an anthem for their latter-day career, and it needs that energy back from the crowd. And again, completely apropos tying in with Marker and the Sand there and the whole thing because yeah this is another one that soars like that but yeah this one definitely was back to the style of Unthought that we're used to where he can really play it up and get into it with the crowd and then let it kind of yeah like he says up to the sky Grievance is very fast and riffy and you love how Cameron can torment this when you hear it live but there are parts where the band is almost trying to go a little too hard and could have gotten Darrell a little bit, but they put the pieces together, but it was a really fast version. Only nine more renditions of the song after this. Brutal. There's some really interesting guitar interplay and dynamics going on during the little stop-start portion in the middle there. It really felt like Stone and Mike were locked in together and doing some really interesting things. It was cool to hear. So for about the 15th time that we've heard this song... In an era that is well past its prime, because it's after 1994, it is well past its prime, where Ed will introduce this song. Oh, here's one for the serious collector. I think the only other time I heard him do that was before Angel. And I can't remember any other song where he did that for. I'm sure they're out there, but yeah. alone yeah, is the one. I want to say there was a, he did it before Strangest Tribe, one of the times that they did Strangest Tribe, but don't quote me on that because I'm not 100% sure on that. That's the thing because the Fenway shows, I remember it during Angel, mm-hmm. and he could have done it before Strangest Tribe, but because I know for a fact it was done before Angel and I really haven't listened yeah. to the first night a whole lot, I can't confirm that, but that is on the schedule for very, very soon, so we'll bring that back up. Alone is the one that he always seems to pull it out for, and Alone is interesting because it's so hit or miss. Like, occasionally they'll stumble onto a really, really great kind of groovy version on it, and sometimes it just doesn't work at all. This one, I think, is somewhere in the middle. Like, the video, you see Stone, he's kind of like in a trance almost, just kind of grooving with his head a little bit, just really feeling it. Now... We did mention, because we covered this two weeks ago at the other show that lasted an hour eight. This is an hour four of full set. Yeah. 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 And you kind of mentioned that alone being in this spot was strange because you don't necessarily get that vibe from the song. It's the same exact spot. It's the third song to the end. Did you have that same feeling? A little bit. Because this show hasn't had a lot of, like, it's not kind of a rarity heavy show like that i would have liked to hear it maybe a little bit earlier but this version i think got a little bit off at the end it felt like they weren't super confident on it and like alone needs that to be a big moment they need to really lock in on that early sound of it and two it was a bummer because like you're watching the video and you see ed kind of go up to the microphone 
at the end, you're like, okay, he's gonna do the outro, he's gonna sing it, and then at the last minute, he just kind of like pauses, backs off, doesn't do it. So that was a little bit of a bummer. I always like when he does the little spoken song outro there. Yeah, it's hard to follow Fixer with that. Fixer is pretty much straight up what you get from this era. Nothing additional to a version like this. It's a pretty simple song. But you kind of have to bring up the continuity of the theme here for Evolution that they want to end the main set by singing to the Hallelujah Choir. Because why the hell not, right? Oh, yeah, it couldn't be anything else. That is that. That is a 16-song main set. Kind of like Blackjack, it's a soft 16. I kind of always feel like 17, you got to hit on 16, so make it 17 kind of deal. But 16-song, but that just means that this show is far from over, and that is why we are at the Encore and can pause for station identification, talk a little bit about Patreon. We talk about it every week. And going to make this real simple, real quick right here, guys. We are just looking for support right now. We're looking for a little bit of support. And obviously the tour is coming. Obviously the new album is coming. And everything that's being put into that right now will go and be put back into that and getting us out to the shows and making sure that we do events and that we're there and we can do coverage and all that. So it's important to us. I hope it's important to you guys for the people that have been patrons for a very long time. It's like around 300 people there. So we have a very, very good group of people. I guess you can say we've created our own religion in a way, but I really hope that I got to come up with a better sermon than what I did before. If I really want to talk to these people. Right. But I guess in a way, if you're listening to this podcast every week, you listen to some kind of sermon, but not to get off the rails a little bit on that. And this just in breaking news, John had just gotten in my ear and told me that we have a brand new patron. And because you're the source on this, why don't you thank our brand new patron that happened yeah, just, right during the episode? Yeah, I just got an alert as we started recording. Thanks to Cindy McIntyre, who picked a really good time to sign up right before we started recording and got into this. So she joined up on the bonus leg, the yearly, where you get it for less than a dollar a month, which is a really good way to start doing it. So thank you so much to Cindy. Hope you get a chance to check that out and check all that back catalog of of Patreon episodes we have. And good time to jump in, like you said, with a new tour and a new album. So thanks a lot, Cindy. Cindy, I'm glad that we didn't have to wait another week to thank you because that would have, yeah. I, I I know you guys get a kick out of your name being mentioned on the podcast, so we want to throw it back to you because you're all so kind to throw a little bit in and help us out. So if you want to be like Cindy and maybe sign up for Patreon while we're recording a podcast, which, by the way, is pretty much every Friday night from 8.30 to about 10.30, 11 or so. So if you're waiting and you want that moment and you want that's to have a Cindy moment, time. Yeah. that's when you got to do it. And we can break some more news that way. You can do it by 
going to patreon.com slash live on four legs and signing up there. You can also download the Patreon app and search for live on four legs. You can do it there. You can go to live on four legs.com stop for a little bit and read the concertpedia and read some other things that we got there. Cause there's so much content, including all of the episode content from regular platform to Patreon and even YouTube clips and everything like that, that we've done. And then just kind of take in all the content and join up and every opportunity that we get to give you guys more, we take it and we run with it. So, you know, there are evolution episodes about a song's humble beginnings, taking it to where it grew and changed throughout the years. And we get knee deep into all the important versions and even some versions that you might not have ever heard before. We've done so many songs that name one, we've probably done it. It's all on live on four legs.com or on patreon.com. If you, if you take a look, we actually have everything together. So there is a little section on the homepage that will take you straight to all of the evolution episodes. If that's where you want to check that out as well. And if you are interested in getting your story told on our show, join up on gig leg, join up on horizon leg and let's make it happen because we got a lot of stories to tell this year. But after this year, I have no idea. I have no idea what direction this takes. So we are looking forward to hearing more. And hopefully we'll be able to tell your story from your favorite show or one of the shows that you really like that we haven't covered yet. And just keep this going because we got a lot more to do as the years go by. As more shows kind of keep coming, that number is going to rise. So we'll keep trekking along here and doing all that. So if that's stuff you're interested in, again, patreon.com slash live on four legs, help us out. And hopefully we'll help you out with more content. Back to the rock, everyone. We are kicking off with just breathe. Ed's going to say in the beginning, thank you very much. We ain't been here last seven years, and I don't know how long we'll be doing this, but the energy you bring here makes it feel like there will be at least a reason to. So I'd like to ask for another bottle. And I guess he gets one and says, yeah, this ain't going to cut it. And then says, I want to play something romantic for you, which is just breathe. It's romantic because can I get an amen? Yes. Jeff is on this version and he's very bubbly. And that is romance to me. True romance. Just Breathe with the full band is a million times better than Just Breathe at Solo. I was so excited when he started playing this and you cut to the band and they're still on stage and they're actually playing. So here we go. Yeah, it just makes the song so much better. I fully agree. And we mentioned this every single time. Like this is the story when it comes to Just Breathe, but it gives everybody a role. And even in, in some aspects, it makes the song kind of sing a little bit and like you get rid of the bass there's a little bit of a void you know you get rid of a little bit of what Cameron does there's a little bit of a void everybody and I'll take the quote that Javier always likes to say sometimes the best thing that you can do is just doing just very little at all because it just fills in those gaps and the spots and that's what Just Breathe does here and for these versions in 2010 and then very soon afterwards it is all ed with mike on stage just playing one or two notes where that could easily be jeff but that's a podcast 
conversation for another time that will probably last about eight seconds long to go to the next song. So romantic, just breathe romantic and black. And I think when you think about the romance in black, I, I think that holding on to that all beeline always when he does that and he extends that, I'm like, that's gotta be the longest he's ever done that. This is the truth. I think this is the longest he's ever done that here. It has to be right. gave me chills listening to it. I mean, you've kind of gotten on to be the last couple of weeks about always picking black at number one, but... And I'll probably come, get on to you again, too. Come on, with versions like this, oh my god, like, in that moment when he's holding that note, the crowd comes in and kicks in the backups that are on the record at that moment, while he's still doing the B line, and oh yeah, it gave me chills. That's the moment of the show for me. Just one of those impromptu things that you don't even think of in the moment, but then you look back and like, listen back and like, oh man, that was special. He's holding out the microphone for them the whole time. They're spinning. They come out and do that. And then they take it at the end. And he goes, okay, keep, keep going with it. Goes a little falsetto at the end to kind of do some call and response a little bit. And the crowd's up for it. And then after all that, you're going to get into we didn't belong together. And then he's like, oh, we didn't belong together. It's okay. Oh, it just tears your heart into pieces. This is fantastic. The crowd made for perfect backing vocals on the do-do-do-do-do-do-do's. As mentioned many, many, many times, this is a crowd-friendly show, so... Gets nearly eight minutes, too. Well done, Columbus. So, Ed says, good singing there, and mentions that Mr. Stone Gossett wrote the song. Speaking of interesting and cool people, I guess I met him a long time ago when he was a rookie, but we've been getting some nice gifts on this tour, and he brought this to me. And that happened to be a jersey. We're not sure what the jersey said, Probably a Cincinnati Reds jersey because that's where he was playing at the time, but it could be something else. Who knows? But Ed is giving a shout out to Bronson Arroyo, 2004 World Series winner for the Boston Red Sox, and says it was his first ever Pearl Jam show. Now, you're thinking to yourself, like, really? But you know, deep down inside, you know that it's not his last because maybe he was a fan watching from the crowd for this one there's going to be a day six years later he's going to be up there playing the song that preceded the song that he requested at this show and it's going to be a big moment over at Fenway Park so this one is for Bronson Arroyo State of Love and Trust which will hit Spin the Black Circle and then close the set with Go I love the energy going from song to song to song here and the splattering of 90 songs that you have going back to black and you have a crowd that obviously is going to want and it's not like you're playing every single major hit you're not playing jeremy you're playing songs that are for 
the long time people like you love spin the black circle from the first time that you put on vitalogy go is the first thing that you hear off of verses these are the ones that get you really excited to be part of the show and really excited to follow this set list and i think the standout for me on this is absolutely go it's an amazing closer to a set i love when it closes either a main set or part of the encore and this one is like they didn't want to leave the stage because Mike absolutely abuses this solo. Yeah, this is a big time performance at a great spot. Ed's going forward like, we ready, we ready, we ready. Just getting completely hyped up for it. And notice in this encore too, it starts out with just breathing. Every song gets progressively a little faster, a little more intense. You go from just breathe to black to state, then the black circle, and you finish with go. So I like that there's no breakup. It's just full throttle, just ramping up every single song, which is very, very cool. But yeah, I love that state and spin and to go in an encore is fantastic. I didn't know that I needed that in my life, but I really loved it here. That is a 23 minute encore one, believe it or not. And encore two is going to be 37 minutes, but this is weirdly a short show and doesn't feel like it. Mm -hmm. Like this feels like it's two and a half, but it's just a smidge over two. Now we're going to get into encore two and we're going to get into a discussion here about something bigger than Pearl Jam and more important. Ed asks for the light. He wants to see everybody and says, good things happen and bad things happen for no apparent reason. We are just very appreciative that you guys have helped us make good things happen. So thank you very much. Thanks, Band of Horses, shortly after that. And says, speaking of mysteries, there's something that's been an issue here for a couple of years about a kid who went to school here whose name was Brian Schaefer. About four years ago, he went missing. He seemed to just vanish in thin air. He had a girlfriend, Alexis, who loved him. They were planning to get married, and he was going to go to med school. He had a great dad named Randy. The website, and I think he means here, the forum, you could still see that thread right on top of the forum. You could see this thread right at the top still pinned there. And he said they were trying to keep the issue alive and to the forefront and just remind people to be on the lookout for this he was a six foot two handsome guy had a pearl jam tattoo on his right arm and we just want to send this one out to him and let him know that wherever he is we're still thinking about him to dig in a little bit deeper here this took place in 2006 it's just 
very strange because there's never been any closure on this. He went to a bar with his friends and then somehow just disappeared. He went back into the bar and nobody saw him again. It was at a bar called the Ugly Tuna Saluna. He was supposed to go to Miami on vacation right after that. And I think that part of this was that everybody expected him to propose to his girlfriend at the time. So it's just a really weird time for this to happen. And outside of that, nobody quite knows what happened. Nobody knows where he went. Nobody knows if somebody took the body. It's a complete mystery. This just feels like it's got nothing, not a hint of evidence that you can say like, okay, we have a direction for this. It's very, very strange. There was a theory that he had gone off to start a new life somewhere. There was a homeless guy in Southern California that they thought might have been him, but it wasn't. Yeah, very strange that in going on, you know, 18 years that nothing's ever popped up. It's a tragic story. Sad. You feel for the family and everything. It's like a tragic story to this family as well. But yeah, just we'll probably never know. So I think there's only one song to really follow that up with. It's a song that I've always felt like it's meant as a sense of communication with somebody that you may never get an answer from. And it's come back. And I think what you get out of this and the way that once it gets to like the end and Ed's kind of singing a little bit off mic, he's singing, it's okay, it's okay. And we know those lyrics to mean so much within this band. He's repeating it, he's repeating it. And it makes you think about the situation and how just tragic the whole thing is. We have so much to our disposal now with tracking DNA and to know absolutely nothing of this. The best thing that you can do is just kind of put a message out into the atmosphere and just say, hey, wherever you are, we're thinking about it. And I think that's all they were trying to do here. It's the perfect song to play, and I like the kind of symmetry too, and I know this wasn't done on purpose because Comeback is played for reason it was but you're ending an encore with go and you're back for encore two with comeback that gives it kind of a nice full circle feel as well but yeah you could tell this version had a little bit more weight behind it you know because they were thinking about brian and his family yep no doubt about it mike takes it home and just capitalizes on that point just bring in every ounce of emotion that he has and yeah putting a statement on it so can't get too much more emotional than that that's quite the peak
once Hail Hail and Crazy Mary are going to be the meat of Encore 2 here. You can really start the party up and transition to what's going to be a really fired up end of the night. Thought Hail Hail sounded just as good as last week. And again, ton of heat when you get to the end and very, very great performance of Jeff doing the mm-hmm. bass runs, as we talked about. And oh, even yeah. Mike, Mike's bringing some extra touches on the end of Hail Hail as well. Is a really good performance, and you almost never get to see this, especially Encore 2, let alone in the Encore at all. Right. Well, they'd already used Comatose and Spin the Black Circle and Go. They were out of songs to use here. So Hail Hail gets the nod as the up-tempo one in Encore 2. But yeah, I love it. Finally getting a no-code song as well, which makes it worthwhile. But yeah, Jeff's the standout there. And love getting this one late. I wish that it stuck around. I'd love to hear this one late like this. Hail Hail and Last Exit are always the ones whenever they yeah. pop up in like an Encore 1 or Encore 2. You're like, ooh, okay, feeling a little frisky tonight, but I feel it. I'm in on it. Yeah. We haven't covered Crazy Mary in a very long time. It feels, I think obviously we've done the new Orleans version from 93, but that's totally different from a normal crazy Mary. And I think we might've even done the 2000 crazy Mary earlier at the Camden show that we did this year, Mm -hmm. but this is the wheelhouse crazy Mary with everybody hearing the crowd, take it away on those key moments, makes it extra special. I thought that we had a very electric duel going off with really if you want to say it's mike versus boom i think it's almost mike versus boom versus matt in a way because matt is putting together a clinic as well on this everybody is putting forth their best effort and it just shines off for a long time on his own before Mike comes in then you know you get the great moment where Mike will go over to the keyboard stand and kind of play it up with him and they go into co-op mode there at the end it's really really cool this is another one that gets to eight minutes as well it's just warmth like you're like oh, okay this is what Crazy Mary should be this is what we've come to know and love about it and with the, the two of them together playing off each other it works so well here it's uh, another great performance and Stone apparently getting down to his knees and strumming that acoustic as hard Stone, as he can. Stone, Stone is Jesus, so he's That's feeling right. a bit of the old-time religion there. Stone is Lord, everyone. So Ed goes around the horn to introduce everybody and says, hey, this guy, this guy, this guy. And this is what he says about Alive. 
song we've been playing for a long time, but uh, you can't really play it unless you feel it. And, uh, yeah, I feel it every time. Some of the intros into these songs have been excellent at their show. And what can you say? This is a great crowd, and this is the siren to tell you that this show is coming to an end. For many, many people, this is going to be a very memorable night. So you want one more opportunity to really go hard after it. And it feels like this version is giving you a lot more than your just everyday version of Alive. The crowd is hot. It's red hot for him. They don't do Rockin' in the Free World here, or Baba. It's Alive right in the Ledbetter. So Alive has to kind of take the energy of all of that and create this massive moment to kind of live up to what you usually get as the bread and butter. Everybody's soaking it in and chanting, hey, and Ed going back and forth with them just felt massive from this room. It's very good. Yeah, he's even doing some vocalizations over the solo as well. Like, he just can't be contained. Like, he just felt the need to go up and sing something and get some of that energy out and give it back to the crowd again. There's a funny moment, too, during the solo when Ed kind of backs up to the amps like he's going to do a stage dive and, like, he's pointing at people in the front rows like, you, you, okay, here we go, here we go. Totally serious. Like, you're like, oh, my God, he's going to do it. He's going to crowd surf. And he runs up and then just stops right at the end of the stage and just teases it and leaves him hanging. It would have been cool to see, but that got the crowd going a little bit too there at the end. Big time out of this song and exactly what you need, what you want. And you're going to have one more here, but Ed is going to say goodbye one last time. Knowing that this is a college town and assuming that you're all intellectuals, you have good taste in music. And as you go out into this planet, this is the kind of spiel that we've heard from other college town places that he's talked about before, whether it be playing in Boston or playing in Columbia, South Carolina, like those type of places. Yeah, you know, Charlottesville. Yeah. yeah, exactly. Like he'll always take that note and turn it into a little piece of advice, if you will, about what life is going to become. It's for just keynote speech for their graduation. Yeah, sure. Whatever kind of job you get, a corporate job, a good job, or one that makes you a lot of money, be very responsible how you do it. It's a fragile planet. We're seeing that lately. And we wish you the best, and may your hearts stay true. Ledbetter finishes off this night, and you can envision everybody with their arms around each other and singing along and having one final moment. And that my friends, is how you do a Pearl Jam show, and that is the religion. It's the closing hymn, Everyone Rise. All right. Well, hopefully you've enjoyed the religious experience as much as we have covering this episode. So now let's take a couple songs and bring them back into the fold. John has got a three and a two that he's going to mention before mentioning black, so let's just... See what those are before getting to the inevitable, I suppose. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. I'm going to mix it up a little bit this week. My number three is Marker in the Sand. How about that? Interesting. My number, my number two is Black. And my number one is Corduroy. I was blown away by the opening of the show and, and Corduroy. It was the best part of that. That's my number one. 
All right. Well, you know, it's funny because I was kind of in between corduroy and giving a fly as one of these options. And I think I'm going to go number three, giving a fly on this since you took corduroy because it gave you exactly kind of the same idea of what corduroy gave you. And it's getting your crowd invested into the show very, very early on. I thought that was terrific. And then I'm going to go and do come back as number two. I think that needs to be mentioned here because it is a big moment. It is important for the local area. And for number one, I think I'm going to go crazy. Mary. I really love this version of crazy. Mary. I thought the duel was spectacular. And again, when you have something powerful going out there with that song and everybody's invested, it is the ultimate party, the ultimate drinking game. Pearl Jam song. So they had that on lockdown at this show. With that being said, we now have to rate this show on a scale of, I wouldn't say one to 10, but probably around like four to 10. And I don't <laughs> think there's, there's a be one on show out song. there. there. There's a one show out there. It's coming. <laughs> I won't see it coming, but mm-hmm. put it on the schedule. Let me know. But it's not this one. It's not this one. This one for me is a solid nine. Okay. Yeah, I'm in between. I don't know if I'm in the eights or nine realm. I like the show a lot, and I don't know what's keeping me from putting it at a nine. I don't have anything specific, but I don't feel like it matches other shows that I've given a nine to. And that's, I guess, sort of me being a little frugal there, but... This is a perfectly fine eight and a half show. So that's where I'm going with that. As we continue, you finally break into the nines for the year. Mm -hmm. I continue Mm -hmm. the eight streak for myself, but that's where we are. Now, we had some plans for the next couple weeks, and who the hell knows what the next couple weeks are supposed to be. There could be things that change on the fly. Who knows? However... Our plans for the next couple of weeks were that we were kind of kind of do some cleanup in a way, if you will, because there are some shows out there that both John and I have been to that we haven't talked about on this podcast before. And it was probably due time that we get to them. So what was originally supposed to be the Atlanta 2012 show next week I made an executive decision today to change it to Nashville 2022, mainly because I haven't been happy with the numbers this month. So hopefully this will get us a boost, but really because I know that you guys want to relive the more recent stuff anyway. So Nashville 2022 is a good show. And we were both there and we'll both have our side of the story. And if you were there too, then Hey, let us know. And maybe we'll get some of your side of the story in as well. We're excited for it. But yeah, in the coming weeks, there's going to be two that John went to that we're going to talk about. There's going to be two that I went to that we talk about. So it'll be a very personal February, I suppose. With that being said, if you love what you're listening to, And maybe you've listened to us for the first time. And if you're still listening, congratulations, because nobody ever listens to the end of the show. They usually stop when the rating or stop when we announce what the episode is for next week. But if you listen to the whole way, then you get your congratulations from us. So let's announce those tour dates. Let's make it worth their while. Let's make them wish they had stuck around. You've got the tour dates, right? Let's go ahead and announce them. Timbuktu, (laughs) May 3rd. Mm Mm-hmm. 
Saudi Arabia, May 9th. Oh, wait, what? Okay, other subject. Let's divert. See, don't you wish you'd stuck around? We only spit truths here. So if you liked what you listened to, please make sure that you're subscribed on your favorite podcast platform. And a lot of you do subscribe at Apple Pod or on Spotify. And what I will say for both of those is that a five-star rating can really, really help us and help the numbers, as I just mentioned. It's been a little weak this month, but I get it because not everybody on first glance at a prog show is going to be like, yes, I want to listen to that. Not everybody American style is going to see Melbourne from 2006 and be like, I know that show. I get that. I get that. But we have to do everything you guys. And trust me, they're all fucking interesting. So (laughs) there's always something good to listen to. But if you really appreciate what we do and you really can't support the Patreon, but want to help us out in some facet, please head on over to either the Spotify or Apple platform and give us the five stars because the ratings do reflect that the ratings reflect that and they will help boost our numbers so if you do that give us a five-star rating then maybe we don't won't have to complain about this next week so help us out there and if you're on apple Podcasts, then please take a minute feel free to write us a comment and let us know what you think of the podcast and again as i mentioned every week it's not us It is the next person that is looking for a Pearl Jam podcast to listen to that might not realize that what we do is bring back these shows and these memories that may be pretty sacred to people that have experienced these, you know, the whole religion thing. So if people see that, then people might want to tune in to something they went to or tune into something they've never listened to before. And that is how you build the community. With that being said, everyone, thanks for listening in. This may be the end. We're here, but not for much longer. And although we may be parting ways, miss you already. Miss you always. Have yourselves a blessed night. Take care of one another and love thy Pearl Jam neighbor. God be with you. And also with you. Let us pray. Follow the stream.